This is I Pierce the Toast. I'm Sean. And I'm AJ. Let's make some toast. Welcome back to I Pierce the Toast. See, you keep doing that. It's I Pierce the Toast. No, no I really think <laughs> it should be I-P-T-T. It's short. It's to the point. It's sweet. I like it. So I did some research, and it turns out we can't use I-P-T-T. Why? It's actually already taken by a Mexican subsidiary of IHOP called Internacional Poro Tater Tots. So, legally, we got to drop the whole IPTT thing. So, what you were saying is that the son of a bitches that were IHOP for a little bit, <laughs> that decided they were going to get into the burger market, also cornered the market on tater tots, and now are taking IPTT? No, I'll fight a bitch. Let's do it. Look, the, the fast food industry is not taking any prisoners these days. We saw a war between Chick-fil-A and Popeye's. Uh, IHOP is trying to get in on the burgers and and corner uh, a, an already saturated market. Look, this is there's a war out there, and I don't want to get in the middle of it by trying to steal IPTT away from IHOP. Let me tell you something really quick. I challenge every last one of those to a cook-off. <laughs> I guarantee I will win. So they can fuck right off. We're taking IPTT. We're keeping it. <laughs> We're taking it back. Yeah. Speak, speaking of <laughs> nicknames for stuff, what have you been calling our viewers? So I recently on Instagram, uh, and I don't know where it came from. I just decided, fuck it. Our viewers are toasties. I see. I like. I like toasties. I do because I've been calling them other things. What do you? What have you been calling them? I've been calling them toast points and um, toasticles. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I, I mean, I'm. I, I'm not so sure about the second one, but I think the first one can totally I, catch on. I think you're dead on with the second one. That's Who doesn't like a nice warm pair of toasticles? With butter and jam. <laughs> I mean, you like jam on your toast. I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> oh, it's oh, extra vinegary. Um, so, Sean, uh, why don't you hit us with some news? I mean, we're rolling into actually giving people news nowadays. Uh, I hate that we have to go from toasticles to Tom Sizemore, but here, here's life. It's, it's alliteration. A, a bit of it. So, unfortunately, uh, we did get some bad news this week. Uh, Tom Sizemore uh, passed away at the age of 61. And I was sitting there thinking of all the films that I've seen Tom Sizemore in. And I just I kept coming up with another one and another one and another one. I finally look him up on IMDb. The man had 262 Jesus. acting credits. And just acting credits because he was also director, producer. Of course, you know, he much like many uh, long-term actors in Hollywood, he, he branched out into other uh, roles within filmmaking. But, you know, just to name some of the big ones, at least for me, you've got, of course, Saving Private Ryan. Yes, yes, yes. Heat. Um, Black Hawk Down. Oh, that's a good one. Right. Uh, Natural Born Killers. Passenger 57. I had totally forgotten he was in that. I can't. Passenger 57. Which, which, which one is that's that? That's Wesley Snipes, where he's on a plane. Oh, yeah. And the guy's trying to take over. Yeah. So he, you know, of course. And it was back when Wesley Snipes was kind of uh, a Cool? You know yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pearl Harbor. Yeah, he was. I, I, I totally forgot he was in that. Yeah, he was the mechanic. I think his name was like Ernie or something. Yeah. Like that. Ernie yeah. or Eddie or something like that. Uh, and then, um, of course, Point Break. I Like, there was another one. I was like, God, of course. He was in Point Break? Yeah, he was. Um, like Keanu? Yeah, yeah. The one with Keanu. Yeah, the oh, original. okay. Because I know yeah. they did a remake. I don't know. Yeah, no, not the remake, but the, the original Point okay. Break. Okay. 
But yeah, he's, you know, this was an incredible uh, performer who, whenever they needed to to fill a certain niche, I mean, he he was there for it. And it's it's definitely a big loss in in Hollywood yeah. to, to lose Tom Sizemore. But um, we had a bit of an adventure. Yeah, we did. So we have been having this kind of thing happen. You guys might have noticed in some of the episodes there might be some noises about you know moving of the microphones and stuff like that. It's honestly because we haven't had the best setup in the room. Uh, we've had different level chairs and different things like that. The chair that I was in was not the most comfortable, so we decided to to, to, to go look at some chairs. My wife was thrilled. She she was not. Um, <laughs> not at all, because the chair that was in here got moved to the living room, and there's a there's a no chair in the living room clause, and uh, Sean, uh, Sean's going to have to deal with that. I violated the clause. Um, hey, Santa it's, Claus. It's like the Santa... It's exactly like the Santa <laughs> Claus, and I violated that clause, and now nobody's getting presents for christmas but i mean gotta think our studio looks actually pretty good now it's comfy in here it's nice i can look right into your eyes it's wonderful yeah it's beautiful and i will say that you know eventually if you know if you know we get more more toasties or some toasticles we will eventually be able (laughs) to do a live for you guys and you guys can see our our uh our setup Testicles. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta stop saying that shit. Oh god. So we're gonna bring the tone down a bit okay. on this week's episode uh for our Schmecken. So far we've done one other of these, and that was Zelda Rubenstein. Yes. And we focused a lot on not only her career, but some advocacy that she did through some commercials uh for uh AIDS awareness in the nineteen eighties. This one's going to be a little bit different. Yes. Uh, AJ, tell me tell me about who we're going to talk about today. So we're actually going to take a walk down an avenue we have not treaded right now. We are going to talk some true crime as well as a person. Today, we're going to talk about Judith Barcy. Judith Barcy is someone that you might not know that you know, but everyone, at least that I know of, actually knows her. If you've ever seen the movie Land Before Time, or if you've seen... All Dogs Go to Heaven, you know who she is. She played Anne-Marie in All Dogs Go to Heaven. Oh, no shit. Yeah, and she played Ducky in so Land for Time. I knew she played Ducky. Like, that's kind of what everybody, whenever anybody hearkens uh, to Judith, they're always like, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, Ducky's voice. But I had no idea she played Anne-Marie in, Land, in uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven. All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yeah. It, she has a very, very tragic story, unfortunately. So I'm just going to dive right in. Guys, This is, it's going to kind of be a heavy episode so if, if this is just not up your alley by all means go ahead and turn to one of our previous or future episodes but we're going to dive right in judith barcy was born june 6 1978 in los angeles california to joseph also known as arizona joe istvan barcy and maria barcy both of them were actually hungarian immigrants that fled the 1956 hungarian revolution and then moved here why was he called Arizona Joe? I really don't know, honestly. I, I couldn't really find out why. It was just something that his fellow plumber buddies would call him was Arizona Joe. He was from Hungary, so that really doesn't make any sense. But, you know, to each their own, I guess. You yeah, call a big a, man tiny. Uh, fair enough. So is Judith the only child? No. She is the only child between Maria and Joseph, but she is not the only child of Joseph. Joseph actually had a couple other kids. He had a daughter, Agi Barsi. Um, was born in 1958, and unfortunately, she did pass in 2008. And then there was another child, a, a son named Barnabarsi. And this just kind of goes back to tragedy within the family itself. He was born in 1957, 
He died in 1995. He, unfortunately, I don't know what all happened. It might have tied back to Joe, who I will talk about as we go on. Barna became an alcoholic, and he died after he fell off a bridge and drowned in Scottsdale, Arizona. So I, I know he lived in Arizona at some point, so that might be why they called him Arizona. Or maybe it was just a bad nickname because his son died in Arizona. I really don't know. That sounds like a pretty significant uh age gap between judith and the the siblings oh, yeah. um was was joseph significantly older than maria she, not significantly older i think it's just that they both fled hungary at the same time in 1950 around 1956 so they had to be around the same age there's not that much of a gap do we know what happened to the mother of the other two children or does that even play into this at all it's it's not really a big thing. They just separated because, as you'll find out, Joe was a bastard. As Augie had pointed out a couple different times in different interviews, which mostly I found through the LA Times, which I actually had to get a subscription to the LA Times to look at some of these articles. Augie had mentioned that Judith had gone, or as she says, Judy, had gone through the same thing that she had gone through as a child, where Joe just, he was an abusive asshole, both physically and verbally and would just berate her and her mom and i think he really just had issues with himself and that translated into his relationships with his children and his significant others so what do we call judith is it does she did she go by judy did she go by judith uh, or was judith more of a professional name like how should you and i refer to her as we continue to discuss i'm gonna say judy because as i've kind of gone into the history i feel like i've kind of known her a little bit more so I'm going to call her Judy. You know, that's what her sister called her. That's what her friends called her. I'm going to call her Judy. All right. So how did Judy get started in show business? So the issue that comes with this is that her mom, Maria, was obsessed with trying to get Judy to be a star. She really thought that she was the ticket to success for their family. And she would try to, like, basically get her out there. But she actually found success very innocuously. She was at a skating rink, and she was discovered in 1983, just just there, because someone thought that she was three years old, but she, at the time, she was like five. Like an ice skating rink or like a roller rink like you and I probably had to do when we were kids? Like a roller rink. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Now, her being discovered led to a mound of success. She was in 50 to 100 commercials. Now, I don't know a lot of these products, but you probably will. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was in the 80s. <laughs> So, it's like your old ass will remember this right? Brillo. <laughs> I mean, you and our viewers might know too. Our, our, our toasticles, they might know what's going on too. No, I'm gonna call you guys toasties. <laughs> so her first commercial was the Donald Duck orange juice commercials. I didn't even know this was a thing. Wait, hold on. What do you mean? What does Donald Duck orange juice mean? It it's literally that's what it is. The brand was Donald Duck orange juice. Like, it was microwavable. It's it's fucking weird. You need to go back. I watched almost every single commercial I could find with her in it. It was great. Okay, I'm I'm stuck on this. It's so it's an orange juice. Just Donald Duck branded. Donald just Donald Duck brand. It's not yeah. like there's not some weird flavor to this. No, it's, it's just, just his, Donald Duck his branding. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking we're talking like when they just used to put random cartoon characters on certain products in the 80s and 90s. This isn't like this isn't like the Ch Cherry Garcia where no. there's a flavor that's a, that's associated with this. It's just Donald Duck yeah, this branded. This is Donald orange Duck juice. branded orange okay, juice. Okay, that's way better than where my fucking oh, yeah. head went. Then there was some fruit wrinkles. They were made by the same makers of fruit roll-ups and fruit bars. So it's a fruit wrinkle. It's it's a fucking Fruity wrinkle, I guess. I don't know. 
she was also in this really, and I thought it was really cute. It was this GIF commercial where it was these two kids and it was her and then another kid. And they were, I guess they were like, we got to be adults now. We got to learn how to cook. So they're just making fucking peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I think it's pronounced GIF. It's a fucking GIF <laughs> peanut butter. Not, God, <laughs> shut the hell up. We're talking about Judy. <laughs> she was in a baby kicky. Who was a swimming baby doll? Was a was one of them? Baby Kiki. Yeah, baby actually, Kiki. that makes a lot of sense because so many products in the eighties were just diminutive ways of describing exactly what the thing did. Baby Pukey, Baby Kiki, Baby Screamy. Wait, yeah, Baby Pukey. What? I don't know if that was an actual yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. But that's there was a there was definitely a theme there of baby and then an action with. E on the end to describe what that specific baby doll had a function yeah. of doing. So that totally tracks. She was also in uh, this really weird commercial where it was her and this little girl at a fancy restaurant. They're like drinking milk and they're talking about Barbie dollar days where I guess that you could turn in a Barbie doll that you have and save a dollar. Interesting. So it's a coupon-esque promotion of bring this thing in, turn it in. What do they do with the old Barbies? I, d- I don't know. Oh, God. There's just a... There's probably Barbies out there somewhere just from those days. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a landful of Barbie dollar Barbies. <laughs> then she was in a commercial for Rocky Road cereal. I think this cereal actually looks really good. And it had like a rock theme. It was it was really freaking cool. I a rock it. theme like rocks or like Dwayne Johnson? Like uh, what? No. Like, <laughs> like rock and roll. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. I, thought you, I thought you meant either a geological rock theme or no. a, a a Dwayne Johnson theme, and I was wrong on both. That's fantastic. No, it's, it's Rocky Road, so like rock rock and roll, Rocky Road. You get oh, it? I see. Okay. So because they're both R alliterations. Yeah. Got it. She was in a Purina Kitten Chow commercial, which the whole premise of this whole commercial was don't treat your kitten like a full-grown cat. Like that was what they kept saying. And it was just this kitten growing up, and it was... It was odd. Sorry, I was tying my shoe. Can you do that again? No. <laughs> <laughs> and then she was in a KFC commercial. And this next commercial that I'm going to talk about has nothing to do with Judy. But I thought it was very, very odd because it was in the same. It came up right after I was watching all her commercials. It was a very creepy video where there was this 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 bear that's talking about Sun Country wine coolers. And he's got this really odd voice. And I was like, I recognize that voice. At the end... It's Vincent Price. He takes off the head of the bear and he's like, I really like my son country wine coolers. Ah. I was going to say Vincent Price, the guy who played Dracula. Vincent Price. Oh, God. I don't want Vincent Price to sell me anything unless it maybe tomato juice. I don't know. I loved it. (laughs) Didn't he also play the creator of Edward Scissorhands? Yes. Yes. I think that was one of his last films. Yeah, that was that was one of the last films that he did. Right. And. From her success on all of these commercials, because she was starting to get recognized, it took her into the stratosphere. Somewhere that her mom, like I said, she was obsessed with getting her career to where it was, was just thrilled about. She was in a slew of TV shows. Pretty much all the ones you can think of from the 80s, like Punky Brewster, Cheers. Facts of Life. Cagney and Lacey, The Love Boat. Was she in Facts of Life? Yeah. Oh, well, okay. no, no, I was no, just no, 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 Facts of Life. Uh, growing Pains. Growing Pains. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah no. Um, oh, that's right. I guess Facts of Life would be kind of 70s into 80s, right? Yeah. I, maybe. I don't know. I have no idea when the hell that no, show was on. It was Growing Pains. Gotcha. Um, Tracy Ullman's show, the Remington Steel. She was in an episode of The Twilight Zone. No she shit. She was all over the place. Now, 
before I move into her film roles, this is going to make sense later, but I want to talk about her home life a little bit. During the entire time of her success, it seems as if her dad, he was either really jealous or he just really felt like he wasn't making the right moves for his family and he felt like he wasn't providing for them correctly. How is that manifesting? Like, how was he making that known? He was very abusive towards Judy. He was very abusive towards Maria. He would berate them at every chance. He would hit Judy. He would hit Maria. He basically would just tell her all the time, like, you know, this is Judy's money. This is not our money. So there was actually a play that I was reading um, that someone had written, and I'm not going to talk too much about it because it's a good script, but it's not written from life. So it's basically like what could have happened. The script is called Broken Doll by Guillermo Gonzalez uh, Lanchares. And it, like I said, it's it's a really good play and it kind of gives you some, some insight into what Joseph was feeling. There's at one point where Maria, at least in the script, buys a washing or a, like a washing machine and he gets very irate and he's talking to her and he's like, well, where'd you get the money for this? Knowing that they didn't really have the money. And she's like, with our money? He's like, you mean with Judy's money? Because during the entire time, he really felt like he was being undermined by Judy's success. He wanted to provide for his family. He was a plumber. He was a working man. And now that Judy has all the success, what is he really going to do for his family? He's not the breadwinner anymore. She is. When did this kind of start? I mean, does this is this happening right away? Were there already hints that joseph was going to become a problem in judy's life or did this really only come about strictly in response to her fame and success this had presented earlier as i said with her with his previous children he was abusive towards them as well so he just had this in him it kind of seems and i i believe that it was um her sister augie that was talking and said that i guess he might have been abused as a kid as well and so this presented later on down the line where, you know, it's just one of those things where nurture versus nature, where this was nurtured into him, that he was going to be the same way that his mom was. And it sucks to say this, but he had kind of a very toxic masculinity aspect of himself where he really felt like I need to be the breadwinner for this family. Now my daughter is the one that's making all the money. But at the end of the day, that's really just Joseph using that specific situation to continue the pattern of abuse. Exactly. So he was he was always abusive. He was probably likely always going to be abusive. This was just another excuse that he was giving both himself and his family to continue being this monster toward his wife and child. Well, one of the things he would regularly say, he would get very, very drunk. He would regularly tell Judy and Maria that he was going to kill them both regularly. There is one of his plumber friends that he was talking about, and this later kind of comes back. He told his friend he was going to kill them over 500 times. Did the friend say anything to anyone, or I, think I, he, I, he just maybe not take him seriously? It was that they didn't take him seriously. He would say it all the time. Once you keep saying that, it's like, oh, Joe would never do that. No, it's, as you'll find out later, Joe actually makes true on his promises. So at this point, Judy is seeing some success. Joe is potentially increasing his abuse, but it seems a pattern that's always been yeah. there. Where is Judy going from here? From this point on, it starts her movie career. So the first movie they could find was in 1985. It was a TV movie um, about child molestation called Kids Don't Tell, and she played the character Jennifer. 
so she's what seven years old yeah point? around seven she was born 1980 uh, 1978 so her career launches at what three years old five five years old okay so she's discovered at three years old or no they thought she was a three-year-old they, they thought that she was three because of her but stature. she was really five at the time right okay so she's discovered at five two solid years of numerous commercial spots and then at seven years old She's breaking into the film industry. Yes. Amazing. And she, like I said, she had a slew of commercials and everything like that. So it was one of the situations where success from her commercials just took her, like I said, into the stratosphere. It was said that whenever she, by the time she started fourth grade and she was about 10 years old, you know, around the time that she died, she was earning up to $100,000 a year. Holy shit. Yeah. And that's in 1980s dollars. Yeah. In 1980 dollars. So how much is that in... 2022 20 what do we fuck 2023 well 2023 would be roughly 229 to $250,000 depending roughly in the fourth grade yeah so I mean when you think about that when she's pulling in that much money and her dad at the time was maybe making 30 maybe as a plumber maybe 30 40,000 dollars as a plumber in the 80s I thought plumbers made pretty good money in the 80s though you got to think about that even in the 80s I always thought it was a pretty lucrative trade to get into I thought but he also was an immigrant you got to think about that Mm, so it's one of the situations where it seems like he worked with the crew different things like that may have been paid under the table may have been specifically sought out for his skills and also for the fact that they may not have had to have compensated him as well as someone who uh what is it called a citizen yeah like i said i don't know his exact finances i just know that he made significantly less than judy did and as i said before judy was the one that bought them their house when they eventually moved and the house that unfortunately was the last place that judy would live so from the 1985 movie do you remember love where she played kathleen which was another tv movie she went on to play there were times dear it's a movie about Alzheimer's in 1985 as well. So in 1985, she had three different movies that she did. So this this child is really taking on some incredibly serious roles. Oh, yeah. Is there Was there any indication in your research on why they felt Judy was so appropriate for these roles where she was clearly being thrust into some very heavy-handed topics? The biggest thing is that Judy, I don't know if it was like a hormonal imbalance or something like that, but Judy, even whenever she was 10 years old, looked like maybe she was six, six or seven. So she had started taking like hormone injections around that time. So she was an older child that could play these younger children roles, but play them with more sincerity than like a three-year-old could. Right. Because she has better cognitive abilities, obviously being 10 at 10 years old yeah. versus somebody who is actually that age. But she's able to portray that age, so we're able to get a better performance out of Judy in in some of these roles where it's going to require a little bit more of a awareness awareness of of some heavier topics. Yeah. Okay. I mean, she had that distinctive, not baby voice, but she had a distinctively higher voice. And like, whenever you hear in all those roles, you could obviously tell. Oh, that's that's Judith Barcy. I recognize that. Absolutely. When you hear her as Ducky or Anne Marie from All Dogs Go to Heaven, it's immediately recognizable. Like I'm uh, now in retrospect, I can't believe I didn't realize that was her yeah. as Anne Marie, uh, and and kind of bridge that gap between that and even not really knowing specifically. Oh, that's that's Judith Barcy. That my brain didn't go. 
the person who plays Ducky is also very clearly the person who plays Anne-Marie in All Dogs Go to Heaven because it is such a unique register that she speaks in for these animated roles. Now, there was another movie that I had never seen before. And honestly, as much as I respect Judy's career, I don't think I ever will see it. It's a movie called Eye of the Tiger. It was in 1986. She plays Jennifer Matthews, who is the daughter of Gary Busey in the movie. The movie seems almost like a bizarre Mad Max type of movie, and it begins and ends with the song Eye of the Tiger. I was just about yeah. to ask, does, yeah. uh, does the song Eye of the Tiger play into this in any way, shape, or form? Yeah. And you did not disappoint with your answer. Yes. Thank you, sir. Um, then she played in a movie called Slam Dance, which was, we just talked about noir films. She It was a neo-noir film involving um, call girls and murder. Tom Hulse from Notre, uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame fame and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, who was in Scarface. Oh, uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Mastrantonio. Sorry, I butchered, I butcher everyone's names. Yeah, I, it's it's Kim Basinger all over again. <laughs> it's Basinger. Bay Singer. Oh, Bay Singer. Like a singer that exclusively sings at the bay. A bay singer. Bay Singer. Basinger. It's a- <laughs> And then Adam Ant, I don't know if you know who Adam Ant is, but he's a singer. He played the song Strip. You're going to have to give me more than that. Uh, so, have you ever seen Don't Mess with the Zohan? Unfortunately, yes, I have. So, you know that scene where he's cutting the hair in the salon for the first time? It's fuzzy, maybe. Hum me a few bars here. What do we got? Uh, let me just let me just play it for you really quick. I love the song. It's an instantly recognized song. No, no. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> okay. I love it. This is an instantly recognizable song, Sean. Blank stares. So this is where, unfortunately, her career starts making an uptick. It starts even going higher than it was. Wait, why is that unfortunately? As she starts to get more and more recognition, and as her career starts to climb, Joe really amps his game. So... One of the things that started this was when she went to go film Jaws 4, The Revenge, and whenever she played Taya in 1987. Now, this this movie was not a good movie. I mean, it had a really great cast. It had Michael Caine in it. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, Michael Caine was in it. Um, One of the scenes in the movie, which I thought was actually really sweet, is that Judy is in the back of the plane and Michael Caine's flying. She's really excited about this. And so she's like, hey... Can I fly? And he actually lets her fly the plane or actually sit in the seat. So it's a really sweet thing. And I think in this movie, this is where Jaws kind of goes off the rails because there's a lot of funny stuff that happens. Apparently, sharks can actually seek revenge. They can jump, which it's not where jumping the shark comes into play. But I mean, in this, they literally jump a shark into the air. In this. So what when you say jump the shark for our audience sake, what does that mean? Where does that phrase come from? Jumping the shark means that you are going to take whatever project, movie, TV show, wherever you're going, you're going to take it in a leap that's not logical in any way, shape, or form. This actually came from Happy Days, where Henry Winkler, playing uh, the Foz, 
is in a skiing contest, like a water skiing contest, and he jumps over a shark. Like a like he literally jumps over a shark. Yeah, literally jumps over a shark. And so from this, whenever we're going way outside the logical leaps within a television show or a series of movies in this case, uh, obviously Jaws 4, we call it jumping the shark. Yes. You said Joseph upped his game when Judith started taking on some of these bigger, more prominent film roles. What does that mean that he upped his game? Before she actually went to go film, he was very, very scared about people leaving him. I don't know if this, again, goes back to his own trauma, but he really, really thought that Maria and Judy were going to leave whenever they went to go leave because they had to go to the Bahamas. They had to go film the film in the Bahamas. And he walked into her room, held the knife to her throat, and said, if you don't come back from shooting in the Bahamas, I'll slit your throat. Okay, so by up his game, we mean this is him escalating. Yeah, he's escalating, escalating his, his violence, yeah, his, his violence, threats, uh, his demeanor. It's it's escalating to a point where we're we're gonna start seeing how this could potentially boil over. Yeah, and Maria did actually consider leaving. Um, after they got back, they went to Maria's uh, brother's house, and Joe tracked them down. He called the house and he threatened to kill her. Like he he said, I'm going to kill you both. So Maria bought them back the next, the next day. The thought behind this is that she thought that if she did not just take Judy and leave, because she could have she could have got her out of this situation. Joe has made mention multiple different times, he's going to kill you both. He's he said it. He you know this is a thing. And she really could have gotten Judy out of this, but for some reason, she was banking on her kid to be successful. She was going to take her kid and make her a star. I hope I'm not misunderstanding this, but it sounds like you're telling me Maria didn't take Judy out of the situation despite the clear and present danger because she was worried it would impact Judy's career. Yes. She thought it would be detrimental to Judy's career so she did nothing. Now, Maria did kind of have some plans to get Joe out of the house. So one of the things that she would do was that she wanted to kind of trigger Joe's obsessive compulsive disorder and kind of make him go manic. So she would try to make the house as dirty as possible, thinking this would trigger him to just be so freaked out about the situation, he would just leave because he couldn't deal with the dirtiness of the house. But that, okay. that did nothing. So this wasn't an attempt to keep him occupied in order to maybe stave off some of the abuse. It was an attempt to try to drive him away from their lives altogether. Yes. And there were multiple evidences of abuse. One of the things that started happening is that Judy on set would start pulling out her eyelashes and she actually started pulling out her cat's whiskers. That is a clear sign of trauma and that she is living in just fear every single day. And it's anxious. It's an anxious behavior. So CPS was actually called at some point. Okay, so that was going to be my question is, was there anybody on set that made a decision here to contact the authorities, get in touch with CPS, anything? Yes, and there was there was investigations going on. CPS was building a case and they were looking into everything. But then as the director of the LA CPS had stated um, to the LA Times, his name is Robert L. Chafe, he said the mother wanted it closed and said, in essence, thank you very much. I don't need you anymore. 
After a while, whenever she had heard that Joe had met another woman and she thought, oh yeah, we're just going to be free of him now. He met another woman. He's going to leave. I have Judy to myself. Let's continue her success. Now, before I move into, unfortunately, what does happen, I'm going to talk about the two films that I personally know the best from her that are some of actually my favorite movies of all time. It's kind of why I felt like we owed it to Judy to be able to do this episode because we're a movie podcast. You know, we talk about the movies that influenced us. And we talk about the movies that we love. And two of these movies already on the were already on my docket. And she was a big part of them. And these are her final two films. Yes. And unfortunately, both, both of these were released posthumous. Okay. The first one, which was released in 1988, was The Land Before Time as Ducky. Mine is Ducky. Yep, that is what it is. Yep, yep, yep. For everyone that doesn't know, we might actually touch on these later on, but the basic plot of these two movies is that there's some cartoon dinosaurs, they get separated from the parents, and they have to find a new home called the Great Valley. Now, she actually, unfortunately, was killed four months before the film's release, and she actually stated while she was filming that Ducky was her favorite role that she had ever done. Really? Yeah. Did she say why she loved playing the role so much, or was it just a fun like what was there any indication on what made this her favorite role i think it was just a someone asked her what her favorite role was or maybe it was during the behind the scenes of this and she just said that she really loved this role the other film that was released in 1989 about a year after she actually died was all dogs go to heaven uh, where she played Marie. the basic plot of this one is that there's a dog named charlie who goes to heaven at the beginning of this movie and instead of accepting his fate he goes and turns back his own clock, literally, and goes back to Earth. He's told he'll never come back, but the actual saving grace to him is this little girl named Anne-Marie, which is kind of tragic that she was his saving grace in this, and she was actually killed before the movie came out. And, of course, Charlie is played by the late, great Burt Reynolds. Yes, Burt Reynolds and um, Don DeLuise plays Itchy. Right, of course, Don DeLuise, absolutely. So, AJ, we... I feel like we've covered her very extensive, very noteworthy career. For being just 10 years old. So let's let's pivot here. Yeah. How does this all come to an end? So like I mentioned earlier, CPS was aware that things were going on in the house. And Maria unfortunately decided to pull everyone off the case, essentially. And she thought things would be done. This plan backfired, unfortunately. Joe got increasingly worried and paranoid, and he was desperately feeling like he was going to be alone. And on the night of July 25th, 1988, he went into Judy's room, shot her in the head. Now, Maria, hearing the gunshot, ran into the um, the hallway to go see what was going on. Joe then shot her as well. It does seem like there was a struggle that Maria was fighting back, but he did kill Maria. Realizing what he had done and that he actually was alone now, I'm not sure what was going through his head at this point. I mean, he had just killed his wife and his daughter. He decided, I don't know if it was just to cover it up or if he really thought that he was actually going to get away with it or what. I don't know what his thinking was, but he poured gasoline on Both of their bodies set them on fire. Whenever people actually stumbled upon the scene later, the house, like the entire interior of the house, was destroyed. But then Joe went into the garage and shot himself in the head. Eunice Daly, who was one of her neighbors, told the LA Times that she had heard an explosion and she saw smoke rising from the house. 
And Daly actually said that my first thought as I ran to call 911 was he's done it. He's killed them and set fire to the house just like he said he would because he told people he was going to kill them. So the bodies were discovered the next day and I couldn't find a lot of news reports. Um, unfortunately, there's there's not a lot out there that covers the story itself in its entirety. But the gist of it in the LA Times and all of the surrounding local news was basically what I just told you, that everyone had kind of discovered this has happened. And there was an outpouring of fans and directors and just people that really got to know Judy, just basically just singing her praises during this. Now, one of the things is that Bonnie Gold, uh, Bonnie Gold was actually someone that worked in her management facility and was actually helping Judy's career. She was saying that she was very successful with every, every door open to her. There's no telling how far she would have gone. And Judy's headstone reads, In memory of the lovely Judith Eva Barcy, 1978 to 1988, our concrete angel. Yep, yep, yep. Now, if you've seen The Lamb Before Time, that was a, that was a phrase right, that she had said. So, I don't want to go too deep into the how, because I, it's, it's morbid as it is, and it's already a difficult topic to discuss. But... My assumption I'm working under here is the house was set fire, so a lot of the physical evidence would have been destroyed. Yes. How did the police piece all this together? Was it was there a note? Did they simply just, based off of the record that there had been of the times Joe had made these threats, that this was the obvious conclusion? What what brought them to the the conclusion that this was a double murder suicide? Well, they did find. Um, obviously they found the bodies with the, the gunshot wounds to the head. Oh, so they were able to recover yeah, the body. They were able intact. to recover the body. The, okay. the interior of the house was destroyed, but they were able to find, they not intact, but they were able to piece together what happened. Okay. But then, then they did find Joe in the garage with the, the can of gasoline and the gun right next to his head. And he did have a bullet in his own temple and, you know, there was obviously, okay. so there was enough, still yeah. enough physical evidence, despite the attempt at burning this all to the ground. Yeah. Um, to make the determination of what Joe had done. Yes. So one of the things I will say is that, like I said earlier, there was an outpouring of just support for Judy and just like um, remembrance of her. And Don Bluth, who is a phenomenal director, producer, creator, he did, you know, he did All Dogs Go to Heaven and he did like The Secret of Nim and everything like that. He had... Basically, whenever the 90s or the 80s were going on, whenever you had the Disney films and then you had like the other cartoon films, Don Bluth did the other ones. He did like Thumbelina and stuff like that. But he was very, very close to Judy. He he grew attached to her during the making of All Dogs Go to Heaven, and he was absolutely distraught whenever he heard of her passing. And he dedicated the ending song, Love Survives, to Judy's memory. And taking it back to what was on her tombstone, the, the the phrase concrete angel. Now, a lot of people will actually kind of have some recognition with that, where they think that the song by Martina McBride, Concrete Angel, they would be like, oh, was this song about her? While it does have some similarities, because the song is actually about domestic abuse and the eventual killing of a child as well, it actually has nothing to do with Judy Barcy. It is just purely circumstantial. And there is actually a website right now that is dedicated to Judy. Um, it's called, it, the actual website is judithvabarcy.com. 
And it's a very interesting website. You can find every single screenshot from every single movie that she's done. You can find all the films about her. You can find so many things of just fans of Judith Barcy that have put these up there. And they call her our concrete angel. Earlier, you mentioned Judy had two siblings. Yes. What became of them? Well, as I mentioned earlier, Barna, the brother, did die in 1995 whenever he fell off a bridge and drowned. Was this completely an accident or was there any indication that there was some guilt, regret, whatever have you, based off Judy's death since she died, what, six years prior? No. There was there was nothing like that. It would just seem like he was, I don't know if he was drunk at the time, but he just fell off a bridge and died. There's not really a whole lot surrounding that, but I don't think it has to do with the guilt from Judy. I do know that he did. He was an alcoholic because of his trauma from his dad, though. Okay, so he, his personal plights didn't really have anything to do with Judy specifically, no. but it was informed by the same upbringing that Judy had to contend with that eventually led to her tragedy. Yes, and then there was um, her sister, Augie, who was a very, very strong advocate for Judy's memory before she passed in 2008. She did pass a breast cancer, but during the entire time, she you know, upheld that her sister was a shining light and that she really does miss her sister. And she wishes that she could have done something to help because she saw the same thing happen to her sister that happened to her. The only remaining piece of this that I'm um, curious about, you mentioned the house was set on fire, but there was still enough physical evidence. Was there any remnants of this house? Was it destroyed or was it revamped? What what became of the house where these horrors took place? So the house itself was restored. The the internal, um, the interior of the house was destroyed, but the actual structural integrity of the house was maintained. They did revamp it, and they did sell the house to the Bernal family in 2001. And this is where things kind of make a different turn. I know this was true crime, and now we're kind of getting into the supernatural. Because the family started reporting some eerie happenings going on. The daughter, Gabby... In a, uh, the daughter Gabby in an episode of Murder House Flip. Uh, so I'll touch on that for a second. Murder House yeah, I was Flip. I say, what is Murder House Flip? You really don't need to watch this. It is very, <laughs> oh, very awful. Essentially, the show, their whole main goal is to take houses that have a murder history to it and revamp the inside of the house so the negative energy kind of goes away. And so it's it's taking on a whole new light. Anyone that knows the supernatural, though, knows you do not do that because oh, that really? can antagonize spirits. Oh, wow. OK, I was about, I was about to say, like, I don't know what you're so upset about. That sounds almost altruistic to no, take that. No, so that's that's a big no, no. OK, so the, I'm glad you're telling me this in the spiritual realm. I'm not much of an expert. So what you're telling me is spiritually speaking within the this idea of spiritualism as a practice there is no going into a house and cleansing. So what is there something you can, that can cleanse a house? But okay. what they did was they totally started knocking down walls. They kind of opened up spaces. And the thing that really struck me about this is the interviews in the episode, the actual show itself is put together very bad. It's very, very cheesy. It's not a good show. 
I, I don't care if they ever hear this because the show's gone now. But it was really bad. The The thing that really struck with me is they were talking to the daughter, Gabby. And Gabby actually slept in the same room that Judy died. And she said that the entire time she was there, she felt like there was somebody watching her. And the family reported that there were footsteps in the hallway all the time. They felt like they could hear like shoving and different things like that happening. And the kicker to all of this is that Gabby had an imaginary friend when she moved in. Guess what the imaginary friend's name was? God, I hope you're not going to say Joe. Joe. Jesus. And Joe was known for opening and closing the garage on them. This is just something that they came to expect to happen on a regular basis. When did this premiere? 2020. 2000, oh, this is recent. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm In my brain, when you said the house got bought in 2001, I'm thinking to myself, okay, so this is a 20-year-old show, yeah. but this is something that happened three years ago. Yeah, three years ago. Wow. And the show is awful. Like, really, really bad. Like I said, I would not even... I never had to pay to watch it, actually, because I started watching it on the Roku channel. But that's the only place you can really find it because it's gone now. Mm. But that kind of ties everything together unfortunately like i said this 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 girl this beautiful child had such a historic climb to success with being discovered at a skating ring at five and a half years old to starring in so many commercials tv shows movies that have stuck with me throughout my entire life she had such an amazing career and I can only imagine how far she would have gone if she wouldn't have been unfortunately killed by someone that was supposed to be her protector, someone that was supposed to make sure that she felt safe. And I'm going to tell you right now, like reading into this, CPS for the LA, um, the LA CPS office came under fire under this because, yeah, they dropped the claim at Maria's behest, but there's so much more they could have done. Everyone in this situation failed this little girl and unfortunately and now it's just a story that we have where we have this child that had some success and then was killed by her dad and it's it's awful so as i don't want this to come off as morbid but i know in spite of her tragedy this was still an incredible performer and those incredible performances in some of these iconic children's films deserve to be enjoyed by a new generation of viewers. Yes. Is there a specific streaming service where we can find uh, some of Judy's work? I guarantee that you can find at least one of her movies on almost every single streaming platform. Now, I will say that I do own quite a bit of her movies, so I am fortunate in that regard. But, I mean, a lot of the ones that she had that you would like to see, especially The Lamb Before Time and All Dogs Go to Heaven, go ahead and buy them. You know, just spend the money. It's They're only a couple dollars nowadays. Go ahead and buy them. Our music is created by Augusta Denise, logo by Arpon Design, mixing and editing by IPTT Studios. And guys, we do want to hear from you in your own slice of toast or schmeckin', but hopefully something not like this. But, you know, if you do, that's what that's what we have. That's, that's what we're here for. Tell us about the films or the people that you think we and others should either see or talk about. You can reach us on Instagram at IPTT underscore podcast or email us directly at IPTTpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening this week. We'll return next week with a feature-length film.
ever see you again? Sure. Sure you will, kid. You know, goodbyes aren't forever. Then, goodbye, Charlie. I love you. Yeah. <laughs>